Uh, this is the first youth night during uh, a Sunday service at New Life. It's not that we haven't had uh, English messages before. We had, uh, and we have regularly shorter English messages. And uh, we occasionally have a guest speaker who is uh, an English speaker, um, and they uh, have the main sermon. But this is the first service where the entire service is predominantly in English. Uh, and I'd like us to set the tone for these meetings as we begin them and start where we must start. We all have things that are important to us. They are a priority for us. The question is, what is our top priority? There's a story about a poor family, a farming family in a third world country. Because of drought, they were in real trouble. So they were hoping that the government would come and install some irrigation systems. And when they saw a cloud of dust in the distance, they got their hopes up. They thought, here's the relief that we need. But to their disappointment, when the convoy approached, it was a military convoy heading to fight a border war. See, those were two different priorities. The government had one priority, but this poor family had a different priority. It is sometimes the same with us and God. God has the priorities that he has, and we sometimes have our own priorities. As a church, in general, as, and as individuals, as Christians, as individual Christians, sometimes as a church, we are concerned about the mission work that the church does, uh, about the amount of prayer that a church has, how God-glorifying is the music, how large is the budget, And perhaps individually, we're concerned as believers on about how to grow in holiness, how to read the Bible more, how to pray more, how to perhaps find a spouse, how to choose the right career. And all those things are very important. Yet the scripture says that there is one thing that must be our top priority. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that there is something that is of first importance. And that is to be our top priority. He says in verses 1 and 3, I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel. And then he says, I handed down to you as a first importance what I also received. And then he goes on to describe what this gospel is. So what does he say that is of first importance? The gospel. We use this word often. But we don't often stop and think about what the word gospel means. But you know, it's very important to make sure we know what the gospel is. Whatever else we may say about our mission statement, whatever else we may say about what we want to accomplish or how we want to accomplish it, our lives as individuals and as a church should be gospel-centered And I'm going to say this in the future. I might repeat it tonight. The gospel is not just the start, and it's not just important for the start of the life of faith, but it's important for the entire 
life of faith. That in itself is a separate topic. But the gospel must be our top priority. And since this is the way things are, what should we know about it this evening? From the text that we have read, we can see that the gospel begins with bad news. The gospel itself is good news. And finally, that the gospel is relational. Those are the things that I'd like us to look at tonight. Sometimes, and we're going to start looking at the uh, idea that the gospel begins with bad news. Did you know that? Sometimes you get good news, and it's just that, good news. There's really nothing that comes before it. But other times, what makes news good news is the bad news that comes first. You know, several weeks ago, we all know that Tyler Moldovan was released from the hospital, and he was admitted to a rehab facility. And that was good news. But why would would that be good news? Why would that be good news? If I, would, if I would tell you today that I've been admitted to a rehab facilities, that facility, that would probably not be good news. But in his case, it was good news because the bad news came first. The bad news came a few weeks earlier when he was shot and he was close to uh, losing his life. So often what makes news good news is that first comes or first come the bad news. In verse 3 of the text we read, uh, we, we see that Paul says, For I handed down to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Paul says that Christ died for our sins. The fact that we sin and the result of that sin That is the bad news. That is where the gospel begins. That is where the gospel starts, according to the great apostle Paul. What is sin? Simply put, sin is the failure to live up to the standard that we were created, up to what we were supposed to be, up to the standard of God. The word sin is a generic word. And it can mean a number of things. I'm just going to mention a few. The word sin can mean uh, missing the mark. You aim at a target and you miss. And you know, when you hear this, you might think, well, this is just a mistake. Not so. In most instances, when when the word for sin is used this way in the Bible, it doesn't mean that. It means that you missed the target by choosing to aim at the wrong target. One example of that would be when you fail, when we fail to love our brother, as the word calls us to do. That's an example of missing the target. But there's another word and another way we understand sin, and that is as transgression. Transgression is the deliberate, the intentional disobedience of God's law, breaking his holy law. And that is open rebellion against the sovereign king of the universe. So you see, sin can be missing the mark because you choose the wrong target. Sin can be transgression, willful disobedience of God's law. Sin can also be idolatry. 
And these are all sorts of things that we love deeply, but we love them more than we love God. Anything that takes priority over God. And it's not just a matter of the things you do, the things that you really love. If there's anything in your life that you love more than God, that is idolatry. And you see, beloved, I would like us to grasp how serious this is. I'd like us to understand that all of us are sinners by birth, by choice, and by practice. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the the apostle continues and he says there is none righteous, no righteous person, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks after God. What a horrible condition. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There's no one who does good. There is not even one. This is the opinion of God about where we are, where we stand. And this is extremely bad news. We are corrupted by sin. And this gets us in trouble with God because we also read that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. I want to ask you, Have we forgotten that we are sinners by birth, by practice, and by nature? When is the last time when you thought of the problem of sin in your life? When is the last time I've done that? You know, the idea of sin is foreign to most people today. Uh, They will fight it with everything they've got. They will resist the verdict of the Bible. The verdict that we're all sinners. How about you? Do you know that you are a sinner? Is that offensive to you? The Apostle Paul says that Christ died for our sins. And writing to Timothy, he said, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost. How can Paul say such a thing? He can say such a thing because he understands how holy God is and how sinful we all are. Paul was not someone living in some kind of gross sin. He never did that, by the way. Paul was a law-abiding Pharisee, by a, living by a very narrow standard of righteousness, by religious and human standards. But when he discovered the gospel... And as he advanced in his knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes to a point in his life when he says, I am the greatest of sinners. And the only reason Paul can say that is because he understood better than anyone else how holy God is. Well, my friends, this is the bad news. And that's why we need... That's why we need good news. That's why we need the blood of the Lamb when we first come to faith. And that's why we need the gospel every day of our lives, even after we come to Him. The gospel is and must be our top priority. The gospel is the priority of the church. Uh, The church is the gospel community. The church is the community where uh, we are tasked with believing, with preserving and proclaiming the gospel. We're all sinners under the wrath of God unless something changes, unless 
something changes. And praise be to God for that, that there is a change and the gospel is the good news. And that's the second thing I'd like us to look at. Have you ever had a problem that was so difficult you didn't know or you didn't think there was a way out? Maybe you desperately needed a job at a critical moment in your life and things didn't look good. Uh, Perhaps you needed, uh, uh, you, you had a financial crisis. Maybe there was an emotional issue or a spiritual problem. Maybe it was something different altogether. But when you looked at the situation, you thought, there, there is no way out. This, this is, I don't know how this is going to be solved. I don't see a way out. And then the phone rang, or maybe a text message came in, or maybe someone walked up to you, talked to you, and the problem was solved. You received good news. That's what it means to get good news. The gospel also is an announcement of good news. It is an announcement that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has brought salvation for the world. In Old Testament times, the idea referred to an announcement of victory in battle. Think about David fighting the Philistines. Think about all those examples in the Old Testament. When a victory was achieved, somebody came and announced that a victory was uh, achieved, and, and that was good news. Uh, in Psalm 96, two, we read, Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Telling of God's salvation is good news. And that kind of good news was a shadow. Uh, that kind of good news in the Old Testament was a shadow of the good news we found we find in the New Testament. Because when we come to the New Testament, we learn that the gospel is the good news about God's victory over death and sin through the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here what Paul says about the gospel. What does he say that the gospel is? And you find the most concise description of the gospel in the entire Bible here in verses 3 to 7. And it is the death, the burial, and the resurrection and the appearances of Jesus. I'd like us to briefly look at each one of them. Notice in verse 3, For I handed down to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And this is important because it tells us that about Christ who died in our place. That's what it means that he died for our sins. He died for our guilt. He died for something that we deserve. If we continue and look on at the next thing Paul says, and by the way, each one of those could be a topic of preaching and meditating on on itself, by itself. But the next thing that Paul says uh, makes up the gospel is the burial, this this, uh, news of the burial of Jesus. Verse 4, part, the first part says, and that he was buried. This was a real death. He truly died. They put him in a grave. He died physically. This was not fainting. This was not some kind of um, momentary uh, loss of consciousness. He truly died. But if you look at verse 4, the second part, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And this is an astonishing outcome. We have overwhelming historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know how many have looked into this, but this is one of the greatest 
offensive weapons. If you want to show someone that any other worldview other than Christianity is false. And the reason for that is that if you can show that Jesus was raised from the dead, and you can using historical arguments, you can show that that is the most logical conclusion of the facts. In that case, what that tells you, what that tells us is that Christianity is true because he is the one who founded Christianity. Christianity being an exclusive, making exclusive claims, everything else, every other religion, every other path to God is ruled out. And we can go on about that, but that's not my intent here. You see, people uh, often say that the gospel is the things that I just mentioned, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And while it's okay to say that uh, in a, as a succinct statement of the gospel, notice that Paul doesn't stop there. He keeps going, and he adds one more thing. He talks about the appearances of Jesus, verses 5 through 7. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now, this is significant because many people saw him, hundreds of people saw him on multiple occasions over over several weeks. The resurrection is a fact, is a fact of history. And this is good news. This is truly good news. This is the gospel. We are sinners, but Christ died for our sins. We are sinners, but Christ was buried. We are sinners, but Christ was raised from the dead. We are sinners, but Christ appeared to many, confirming that death had no power over him, and that one day we too will be raised from the dead. And Paul says that if you believe this, then you are saved. Look again with me at verses 1 and 2. Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The great apostle told the Corinthians, and he tells us, That if we receive, that is, if we believe and continue to believe this gospel, we are saved. If you receive it, if you have received it, if you stand in it, if you hold it firmly, then you are saved. That's what he says. It is the power, the gospel is the power of God to save all those who believe, says Paul in Romans 1.16. But do you know what this tells us? It tells us that salvation is by sheer grace. Salvation is by the sheer grace of God and not by anything you do. It is God's unmerited favor. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Do you, do you understand what Paul just said? Paul just said that this is how you are saved, by beginning, by receiving and holding on to the gospel. And then he says, this is the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried. Christ was raised. And Christ appeared to many. Let me ask you this. Where are you in this picture? 
Where I am and where am I in this picture? What do I do? What do you do? I'll tell you what you do. Nothing. The only contribution we have is our sins. Christ died for our sins. That's the gospel. If you believe this, you are saved. It has nothing to do with you. But somehow we often manage to turn the gospel into something we must do. We turn it into good advice. Tim Keller says that the gospel, and he actually picked up some the main idea from somebody else and then he added to it. But he says that the gospel is good news, not good advice. And he says the following, advice is, is counsel about, you must, about what you must do. News is a report about what has already been done. Advice urges you to make something happen. News urges you to recognize that something has already happened and to respond about it, or to respond to it. Advice says it is all up to you to act. News says someone else has acted. And then he gives an illustration. He says, let's say there is an invading army coming toward the town. I imagine this town uh, needs military advisors. It needs advice. Someone needs uh, to explain how the earth works and the trenches should uh, be placed. And, and then the marksmen should go up there and the tanks must go down there. And that's advice. But if a great king has intercepted and defeated the invading army, what does the town need then? It doesn't need military advisors anymore. It needs, it needs messengers. And the messengers do not say, here's what you have to do. They rather say, I bring you good news. In other words, stop fleeing, stop building fortifications, stop trying to save yourselves. The king has saved you. Something has been done and it changed everything. It changes everything. And that is good news. That is the gospel. That's the gospel, and it must be, and the gospel must be our top priority. See, we have to be careful here, and I'm not going to get too much into this, but we have to make sure we maintain the purity of the gospel. And and the way uh, we lose the purity of the gospel is by adding to it, by subtracting from it, or by twisting it. And there are competing false gospels out there. I'll just mention four really briefly. The first two are the others to a certain extent, too. But the, the first two have been around for a long time, forever, since the beginning of time. Number one is the gospel of works. This one tells you that, yes, grace, faith in God is a great thing, but you must do X, Y, and Z. That's not the gospel. That's what Paul plainly, directly clearly, categorically, categorically says, is another gospel. That's not the gospel. There's another way that the gospel is perverted, and, and that's by license, not a driver's license, a license to sin. Uh, some people think that since grace is what changes us, and that's what takes care of the problem that we have with uh, uh, God, then uh, w- we have no need to worry about holiness, but that's not at all what uh, we see in the Bible. That's not at all what the gospel actually changes us. The gospel transforms us. It, ma- it makes us new creatures in Christ. Another one is progressive Christianity. I'm not going to spend time on this, but it's a, a repackaging of a lot of uh, old lies. 
another one is uh, when people try to say that social justice is what the church is about and what the gospel is about. First of all, we as Christians believe in biblical justice, not in social justice. Social justice, as defined by the world, is something that has nothing to do with the word of God, with Christian principles, and it's as much as it can be an anti-Christian idea and concept. We believe in justice, but even that justice is not the gospel. When you try to make that justice, that even that biblical justice, the gospel, you have lost the true, pure gospel. Do you understand the gospel? Have you received it? That is, have you believed that Christ died for your sins? That he was buried, that he was raised and he appeared to many? If not, what keeps you from doing so? Believe the gospel and trust in the Lord Jesus. And if you're someone who has trust, and I'm sure many of us are from that category here, somebody who has already trusted in Christ, do you stand in the gospel? Do you hold firmly to it? Do you know that you need the gospel every day, every single day of your life, even as a believer? You're still a sinner, and you're still a sinner saved by grace. The gospel begins with bad news. The gospel is good news, but the gospel is also relational as we get uh, close to closing. Notice that verse 3 says that Christ died for our sins. The gospel is not simply transactional. There is a certain aspect to it, especially when you look at it from how exactly this works out and how does God accomplish our salvation. But but the reality is uh, that the gospel is not primarily transactional. It is relational. When you go to the store and you look at a product, you find something you like, uh, you take it to the cashier, you pay for it, it's yours. That's a transaction. And sometimes we look at that, uh, we look at the gospel in the same way. I believe, I repent, and God gives me eternal life. Okay, fine, there's truth in that. But if you, if that's all you understand of the gospel, you're missing a key component. And that is, that Christ is what's given to us in the gospel. Do you understand? God doesn't just want to save you from condemnation, from eternal death. God wants you to have Christ, to love him, for you to fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us, that's what we're called to do. When when we look at what Christ has done for us, when we think about that, when we meditate on that, we begin to fall in love with him more and more. Uh, when we are with him, we become like him. And we grow in our faith through the gospel. Christ himself is offered to us in the gospel. And this is essential to our sanctification. It's very important if we're going to be sanctified to make sure that we see this as the, the gospel, the offer of, of, of the gospel as a relational matter. Jesus is what's offered to you in the gospel, even prior to salvation, prior to, to thinking. I, I know most people think, wow, 
the wrath of God, or maybe they think I've got a problem, God's going to solve it for me. But really, if we would just see the heart of God, that he is offering us his son, he is offering us himself, and a true, lasting, enduring relationship with him, of knowing him, knowing him who is unlimited. He is the fountain of everlasting satisfaction because you will never get to know him completely in all eternity. But that's what's offered to us in the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all of us would do well to seek to grow in our relationship with Christ as a real person. How many times do we think about these things in very abstract terms? And when we think of God somewhere being uh, out there distant, we don't see, we don't seem to experience Christ and God. You know why we don't do that? It's really very simple. How's your conversation with Him? How's your conversation with Him? Do you talk to Him? Do you talk to, to God? How about your listening? Do you listen to what he has to say? Very simple things. Now, did you notice, by the way, what I just did? I didn't use two terms that I could have used. I didn't say, do you pray and read the Bible? And the reason I did that is to show you that when we talk to unbelievers, we have to be careful that we don't use wooden religious language. Okay? It's okay to do it in-house. But when you go outside, you have to be aware of these things. But grow in your relationship with Christ as a real person. Uh, talk to him. Let him talk to you. Listen to what he has to say. Because the gospel is also relational. And these are just a few things that I wanted to share with you tonight. I think these are important things. I think these are foundational things. And because this was the first a service of this kind, I think it was a good uh, place to start to think about the thing that is extremely important. It's our top priority, ought to be our top priority, the gospel. The gospel begins with bad news. The gospel is the good news of the death, burial, resurrection, and appearances of Jesus. And the gospel is relational. I'd like to ask the worship team to come up here. And uh, as they do, I just want to say that all of us, no matter where we are in our walk in life, are invited to receive the gospel. And if we have never received it, we can take that step by faith. But if we have received it, then we're called to stand in the gospel, to hold it firmly. And if we do that then I believe that this will be a true path to sanctification. So first to salvation, then to sanctification, and all this to the glory of God. And may the Lord help us all do that, believe the gospel, trust in it, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ as the Bible tells us. Amen. Amen.